Hello, and welcome to the Extension Experience Podcast with your hosts, Josh Bouchong, Trent Malachik, and Dana Zook. Here you'll find insights into Oklahoma agriculture from West Area Specialists employed by Oklahoma State University Extension. Their perspectives come from assisting county educators and producers in the areas of agronomy, animal science, and economics. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to another episode of the Extension Experience Podcast. My name is Trent Malachik. I'm Josh Bashong. Josh, planning season is upon us. Uh, it doesn't seem like it should be. You know, oh, yeah. We've gone through the summer really fast, and we then have to start thinking now about ground prep and getting ready fertility-wise and variety selection of not only wheat, which we talked about in an earlier episode, but now we're going to talk some about canola. Yeah. And that's... A crop you have a lot of experience in, and I, I hope you get into a little bit of that history as we talk through this, just, just a little bit, we can talk about that. But Josh is kind of our resident expert on canola. I'll give him that title for today. But one of the kind of the housekeeping things we wanted to get out there right away is the insurance deadline for, for electing canola as a crop that you want insured. That's August 31st, correct? Correct. So, And the biggest thing there is if you even have a glimmer of thought that you might plant it, you need to sign those acres up. There's no penalty if you have a report of zero acres. But if you think you might grow it, that deadline that deadline's coming pretty quick. Now I don't know if anyone really gets hung up on that too much or not, but it is as an important point to make is you can sign up for all the crops that you can plant <laughs> just because you just because you sign up for them doesn't mean you have to, but you got to have them on that policy, on that endorsement in, in order to get insurance covered. So as you listen to this podcast, if you think this might be something you're interested in and you haven't signed up for canola acres on your insurance, uh, get that done as soon as possible. Yep. And then just remember, was it January 15th? You got to report your acres. Just make sure you put a zero there if you don't grow any canola. Yeah. And most of your insurance agents are pretty good about yeah. handling all that. So, so if you have any questions, just contact your local crop insurance agent. But all those little housekeeping things and out of the way, let's talk about the crop itself. Uh, what brought canola to Oklahoma? I'll start there. Well, right when I got started with working with OSU as an undergrad, uh, harvested Dr. Peeper's first canola plot, uh, summer of 2003. He's a small grains or retired small grains weed science specialist at OSU. He was beating his head against the wall trying to control some of these winter annual grasses that plague our wheat fields. His best solution wasn't in the wheat crop itself, but rotating to a broadleaf crop. And so looking around, we knew Kansas State University was looking at canola for quite a while, uh, trying to get some true winter hardy types uh, adapted to the Southern Great Plains and uh, that and on board with decalb. We got some genetics. We started looking at them. Like I said, I harvested Dr. Peeper's first plots summer of 2003. We got pretty good success. And so we took that seed. Uh, with the help of decalb, cleaned it ourselves, made a mess in the shop. Uh, we used some spiral cleaners because it is around seed, so a different method for cleaning the seed than we would like on any other small grain. But got some seed out to 10 producers across western Oklahoma, uh, gave them enough seed just to get started, see what we thought, see if it worked larger scale, not just small plots. And from there, we developed the Okanola Project, which was OSU's extension program to help farmers that wanted to grow canola overcome some of those challenges of being a new crop for them 
and we did that through a lot of extension efforts, research, uh, demonstrations, uh, farm tours, and annual conferences in the summer to kind of get back to what we learned that year and uh, get that back to the growers so they can make some timely decisions for the next year. Which what we're kind of doing this year. Uh, at OSU, we've been looking at it pretty heavy the last 17 years. Uh, we've had some great years, some not so great years. You know, a few years of drought in there kind of hampered some things. We had some canola crushers in Oklahoma at one point. Uh, and most everything now is getting shipped out of state uh, through ADM. So uh, we still have local buyers. Some elevators are still taking it. Uh, so contact them for local delivery points. But there's still a demand for it. And especially this summer, I've gotten more questions than I have the last few summers about it. So there might be a little uptick in acres this year as well. Okay. Now, as a wheat producer myself, I'll beat myself up a little bit and say I think growing wheat can be easy sometimes. <laughs> Being a grass, you know, it, it just kind of it comes up through some difficult soil conditions. It can survive a lot of abuse through grazing and things like that. So as a as a long time wheat producer, and I say easy because I understand it. You yeah, know? if you're familiar with it, yeah. it's easy to. So it's all about perspective and what you're familiar with growing wheat your whole life is might be challenging to someone that's never grown wheat before. So that's possible. But kind of working with you over the past few years, uh, learning about this brassica, correct? Yep. What canola would be. Crop, just like turnips and radishes. Completely different process <laughs> than yeah. growing wheat. And, you know, we have a lot of dual purpose wheat. That's one of our first challenges. Well, it's going to take away from my wheat pasture. Can we graze canola? So we did some of those trials early on. And it's not really a dual purpose crop. It does have some excellent quality forage on there. Uh, it does have a tendency to accumulate some nitrates uh, if we do heavy fertilizer up front pre-plant. Uh, but the biggest thing is its growing point. Uh, think of it like a dandelion, it's a rosette. That growing point's actually above the soil. And so that has its own challenges that puff traffic, but actually gets eaten off uh, by livestock or stalkers uh, has been the biggest challenge. But we're also more susceptible to winter kill because it's not down in the soil like wheat. Uh, some guys don't even know the growing point on wheat's below the soil surface. And that's why we can graze it pretty hard and go through some stress periods over the winter and come back uh, doing pretty good. But canola, on the other hand, uh, we have to think of it more like a soybean crop or something like that. We don't want to remove that biomass with grazing because we can hamper grain yield. And so that's why there is a, a part of the insurance uh, with RMA that if you do want crop insurance on it, if you do graze it, you avoid that insurance. Uh, just because our research shown that it can be pretty significant. 30, 50, 70 uh, or more percent of that grain yield can be lost if we graze it. Yeah. And when I say things are easy, I'm being facetious. Yeah. <laughs> Because one one of the things we've kind of found, especially on our own operation, as we branch out into other crops, I think it makes me a better wheat grower. Uh, and that's, we saw that early on. Um, you know, a lot of guys, we plant wheat, don't do much to it till the next spring. And growing canola, guys are forced to at least look at it maybe hopefully once a week. Uh, and that, they came back to us and said, growing canola has made us better wheat farmers. So, you know, being on a low put input system on wheat, uh, particularly, uh, we don't always see that return on investment on those inputs, but canola, uh, more often than not, does respond to that 
uh, more intense management. Doesn't mean you have to throw everything at it. Uh, this is the Southern Great Plains. We always are at the mercy of the mother nature, but uh, guys see those responses in canola and they start trying new things in their wheat. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a 50,000 foot view of how canola came into Oklahoma. And I guess I never really got to that, but the reason we did it, like I said, Dr. Paper with the weed science program, small grains, uh, we brought it in as a weed management tool, especially for our continuous wheat farmers. Uh, to give them an option with that broadleaf crop, we have new modes of action for herbicides. Then obviously a lot of guys prefer that Roundup Ready canola. Makes it pretty simple and cheap to control those grasses and then get back to our wheat. Um, we've done some trials at OSU. My master's thesis was on controlling those grasses. We can significantly reduce those grasses the next year in our wheat crop. And so we have a cleaner wheat. We usually have a higher yielding wheat because of that rotation, breaking up those pests, whether it be insects, disease, or weeds. Get back to that wheat, we have more forage. And we've seen as much as 20% increase on wheat forage. So we're able to hopefully put out more stalkers per acre that next year following canola on wheat. And then that grain yield was pretty significant most times. In our research data, we saw anywhere from 5 to 30%. Most of the time, it's around that 15% increase. Had some grain guys in northwest Oklahoma said as high as 50% yield increase compared to their continuous wheat. So just like up north where they have a cereal and an oilseed crop, we brought that system down here. But instead of corn and soybeans, we got wheat and canola. The great thing about canola is keeping that winter growing period so that we can get back to wheat easily. You know, we, we can grow various summer crops like corn and sorghum and soybeans, but depending on the year and harvest difficulty and things like that, getting back to a wheat crop, especially for grazing, can be pretty difficult. But pushing all that kind of to the wayside, we got to get the crop planted first. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that and that's even a different process than growing wheat. So let's let's start there. You know, we're in the middle of August right now as we record this and a lot of that field prep is feverishly getting done due to all the rain that we've had. And, and you know, some of our producers are a little bit behind, depending on where you are in the state. Uh, but just kind of talk through what's different between growing or put, sowing a wheat crop as opposed to sowing a canola crop. The biggest obvious difference is going to be that seedbed preparation. Uh, I wouldn't say it'd be as comparable to something like alfalfa where we want that real nice firm level seed bed but it is going to be something more closer to that than what we do for our, our wheat most of the time wheat we can get by kind of cloddy uh not very firm i still get good emergence because we can sow a little bit deeper canola being so small oh uh, depending on the variety or hybrid seed size can be anywhere from 60 to 160,000 seeds per pound so quite a bit smaller than our wheat and that's been a challenge as well as a lower seeding rate you know we're used to planting 60 to 120 pounds of wheat canola or that two three five pound seeding rate uh, so getting that field prepped we want a nice firm firm seed bed to get that good seed to soil contact to get it to germinate and emerge so if you are a conventional till hopefully get those tillage passes done because planting window for canola in the Southern Great Plains in Oklahoma is going to be September 10 to October 10. Uh, typically, we're in that mid uh, to late September, uh, ideally, uh, but we can shoot that to mid-October. There's a late planting period to October 15th, but you do start to lose some of that premium. Uh, but we want to get that ground ready, uh, hopefully 
Every tillage patch is a little bit shallower. We do have our pH corrected. It is going to be a little bit more sensitive to acidic soils than wheat. Uh, get our P and K down. And then nitrogen, very similar to wheat. We don't want to do it all pre-plant and have some of it lost throughout the winter or just go into a lot of vegetative growth in the fall that we don't need. Uh, so we usually are in that split application a little bit up front, maybe uh, 20 to 40 pounds of nitrogen and then top dress the remainder in the spring. Uh, it is going to take more nitrogen than wheat, uh, usually about 25% more. So if you're used to putting out 100 pounds on wheat, you might be putting that 125 pounds on canola uh, to get that comparable yield potential. But kind of hit on like what I did a second ago about the being more sensitive to pH. It is an oil seed crop. It is going to be more sensitive just like our alfalfa and our soybeans. We want that mid to upper fives. Once we get mid to lower fives, we do see a little bit of yield potential loss. A lot of times it's that early growth is going to be delayed. We're going to have stunning and chlorosis in the fall. But once that taproot does get down to some subsoil that's more neutral, we can see that crop go off. So we do have an early freeze that's going to be detrimental on our stand retention uh, through winter kill because that plant won't be as far along as we want. But that has been an issue for us. If my pH isn't perfect, can I get by by maybe increasing seeding rate or banding phosphorus like I do with wheat? Or are those practices not as successful in canola? Uh, I'd say more along the lines of putting a little bit of phosphate down with the seed, just like our wheat, uh, but it is going to be more sensitive to salting out than our wheat is. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can't be putting those high rates. Uh, the research we've done here with Dr. Brian Arnell at OSU, that about 10 pounds of salt with the seed. So when you're talking about salts of a fertilizer, we're talking about nitrogen, potassium, and even sulfur. Uh, if you kind of credit that to about half. Uh, so nitrogen, potassium, half your sulfur is going to go to that salt load. Uh, and then the row spacing is a very component of that. The wider the row spacing, the more concentrated that fertilizer is going to be, so the less you can put out per acre. But if you are on narrow rows like any other grain drill, we can get by with a decent amount to get that phosphorus with the seed. But if you're all the way out on 30-inch rows, we got to draw that back. And then just like uh, anytime we're talking about salting out or the crop and in furrow with the seed, sandy, dry soils are going to be the most hurtful. hurtful. Uh, and then heavier ground that has good moisture, we can get by with more without less damage. So you pretty much told me to work my ground like a radish farm and to get it growing, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Similar crop. What if I'm a no-till producer? What challenges do I have if I'm in no-till system instead of working the ground? That's been a... A big concern for a lot of guys. Uh, we've been burnt on no-till canola uh, several times in the past, and that's been a reason why some guys walked away from it. Uh, you've probably noticed yourself, but there's been a lot of no-till broke out last few years. Some guys going back to tillage, or at least conservation tillage, a little bit of tillage, not heavy moldboard plow or nothing. But uh, having that uh, residue managed uh, is more consistent on our canola results. Uh, but we've had some excellent yields on canola under no-till systems. Some things that we've found out over the years that help, uh, if you are true no-till, uh, we've had strip tillers using 30-inch uh, row crop planters. Uh, having that strip till, we get that seed zone clean, have bare soil, we get good results from it. Uh, we've had some instances where using a VT tool 
to manage some of that residue without having that deep tillage to fracture the soil. Uh, so we're still keeping most of our no-till benefits and still keeping a little bit of residue on the soil. So you guys have been very successful with just lighting a match and burning the residue off right before we plant so we're not out there baking the soil and losing moisture. But overall, some easy things uh, for no-tillers, uh, plant a little bit earlier. So with that crop residue on the soil surface, typically we have soil cool, soil, uh, Typically in no-till, we have cooler soil temperatures. Uh, so we're wanting to plant a little bit on the earlier side than on a conventional tilled system to get that plant more time to get to desired size before the winter. Because as we get some of those late rains in the fall, uh, those cold rains drop that soil temperature. And in a no-till system, we're not getting that solar radiation to warm them back up. So usually once that soil temperature drops, it stays low. So that kind of slows that growth of the canola crop. So no-till. If we can manage residue, either strip till or aggressive row cleaners on that row crop planter, uh, get that residue out of the seed furrow, it's pretty advantage. Plant a little bit on the earlier side. Uh, make sure you cut through that residue. We don't want to be planting first thing in the morning where that residue, that wheat straw is still tough. We don't want to hairpin that residue down in the furrow. We want to cut through it, get that seed down to good soil. We can go as deep as an inch and a half, just fine with canola. We have less soil crusting issues in no-till. We usually have more moisture near the soil surface. Uh, we can usually get a better stand in no-till, just whether or not we get desired size before winter, and then usually have more freezing loss, stand thinning through the winter in no-till systems. Yeah, because if I'm planting into a mat of straw, that growing point tends to get higher and higher away from the soil surface, and the farther away we get, the better chance of freezing out, correct? Yeah, and that's our biggest challenge. We call it high leg. Uh, where that growing point starts to elongate and especially as we went to those wider row spacings planting too thick is very detrimental because you have that inner row competition where that plant tries to go vertical and that starts to push that growing point up higher so when we start going wider row spacing 15 to 30s we start dropping that seeding rate back from five to three to two we've even seen great success with going all the way down to one pound per acre seeding rate uh, which helps on the seed cost uh, seed is going to be, I want to say about three forty to three eighty dollars uh, per bag. So depending on your seeding rate, you're, you know, fifteen, thirty, forty bucks per acre on seeding costs. So if we can have good planting conditions, have good moisture, we can drop that seeding rate back. And especially if we're on wider rows, we can drop it back down to that one and a half, two pounds, and save on that seeding cost and still get good results. It warms my heart to see you bring economics into your conversation, <laughs> and I don't even have to do it. But that brings back to the main point of why we brought canola to Oklahoma, yeah. was elevators got sick and tired of taking some of this 50-50 barrel rye wheat mix and trying to market that as feed wheat and getting huge docks and just you know ruining the budgets from get-go by not having our weeds managed. So It yeah. takes a lot of bushels to blend trashy wheat to get it to acceptable levels. Oh, and yeah. And not only dockage, but the bigger, steeper price reduction is going to be, you know, FM, barrel rye. And so farmers can really see that benefit. We've had some co-ops monitor fields after canola rotations, and they've seen that 97 to 80% uh, reduction in rye one, two years after the canola crop. So that goes into that, that canola budget, as you'd like. We're not just looking at crop by crop, but through the system over a time period. 
we can see that benefit of that canola crop. So, yeah, and it's a systems approach. And when you build those budgets, you pretty much have to go three years out. Yeah. You're thinking about whether you're in wheat now going to canola and then what the wheat crop's going to do two years after that, or maybe canola is your first year right now. But, you know, we've got the benefit of reducing weeds, it's going to increase profitability on our wheat crop. A good canola crop pays for itself. Uh, even even as prices have come down over the years, if we can yield good and we get a good canola crop, that's not necessarily a problem. Even a poor canola crop uh, yeah. is going to have that rotational benefit. As long as we get out there and spray those weeds, yeah. canola yeah. itself doesn't kill those weeds. We still have to spray. Yeah, and, that, and that's part of the system's approach. You can't go into this thinking, I'm going to save money. Yeah. You know, this is an investment, so we have to be prepared to make the, the spraying that we need to. Pests can be a big issue where we have to spray how many times for bugs in a typical year yeah sometimes zero but typically once or twice yeah. uh typically we can get by with those cheaper synthetic pyrethroids there's a lot of generic options out there uh, i've had some guys say well there's a lot of money in canola but i've seen them throw more money into cover crops and i've had one producer we kind of started talking one day and he's like i'm starting to see canola and not necessarily as just a cash crop but worse it's a cover crop that has potential to pay out as a cash crop as well. So if you're willing to th throw in 20 to $40 per acre on cover crops, you can probably do the same thing with canola, still have potential for a cash crop and get that rotational effects out of it. Yeah. If we're going to plant something, I'd like to be able to sell something off of it. Yeah. yeah and that, because our budgets have been difficult enough to cash flow in the past few years. So, you know, we're making a long-term investment here. We're trying to build that soil health, soil tilth, you know, and, and, good quality root system that canola has on it really helps uh, loosen yeah. up some of that topsoil. We've least. seen those tap roots. They can get as fat as your arm if you have a thin stand out there and they can do some tillage for you. Uh, and we've had backhoes out there in field days in April and dug down and dug five feet and still found canola roots. So it does a lot of help to mine some of those nutrients, get it back up to the soil surface for wheat. It does have some biofumigant uh, properties to canola so it kind of gets rid of hopefully some maybe bad nematodes and some other stuff we haven't really quantified with research but nonetheless we're seeing that rotation benefit out of it yeah that's a lot of information uh, we have a little bit of time left here uh, you want to talk about variety selection or maybe where people should go if they're interested in trying to find a variety uh, for the most part there's still uh Quite a few options on the market. Uh, Mike Stom at Kansas State University is still an active breeding program for winter canola, so he's, he's still getting some genetics out there. Unfortunately, decal pulled out of the winter canola uh, program in Southern Great Plains quite a few years ago, but we still have cropland out there. So most of our co-ops are carrying those cropland varieties, and they have a few a few good options for you. Uh, we have the 115, 120, or 225 still available. They've been tried and tested. Their newer one, 320, uh, which is, has probably a little higher yield potential. Uh, I haven't looked at too closely about other characteristics like winter survival and hardiness like that, but uh, they've in the research trials, they've done pretty good. Uh, so there's still some good options out there. We have some, uh, like I said, Roundup Ready options like the croplands, uh, but we also have some conventional non-Roundup Ready varieties out there as well as hybrids. And so just like in a lot of other crops, Hybrids bring something to the table, and we see that with yield potential on canola. So some of those hybrids typically are going to have that higher yield potential. They may or may not have that winter hardiness, uh, but some of them are starting to show that last few years. And so we do have some lemon grain out there, lemon grain cereal seeds, 
Uh, Rubisco or DL Seeds has some hybrids out there that are fitting down here in the Southern Great Plains. Might start seeing some shatter tolerance to those hybrids. And then Mike Stom still, like I said, putting out some genetics that are something that we need to look at. I think it's important for producers to remember it doesn't have to be Roundup ready to kill feral rye. Yeah. There's there's various chemicals we can use on just your standard conventional canola that can get rid of our grassy weeds. So you don't have to find a Roundup ready variety. Yeah. That's not something you're interested in doing. They don't work as fast as Roundup. Uh, yeah. So we're talking about the Dems and FOPs and canola. That's going to be products with clethodem in there. So like Select, the Sure 2, which is Quizolifop. Uh, which the, some of our wheat growers are now starting to get exposed to quizolifop through the new coaxium wheat system. So if you are following a coaxium wheat, you probably don't want to hit that again with that. Or with the Sure 2, you might hit it with the Clethodem or something like that. And if you are a conventional till, Trefland, it's a yellow pre-plant incorporated herbicide that does great at taking over 60% of that small grains out of the equation and get you off to a great start as well. Yeah. Well, Kind of recapping, since we did talk about a bunch, uh, August 31st, we've got to let insurance know that we're interested in planting canola. Even if we're not going to do it or not, we have to get got to get that policy signed up just and in case. Don't be looking at the cash price because our prices are always higher at harvest than they are right now when Canadian crops come out. Yeah, we tend to see a little bit of a bump in price there towards the whenever our harvest starts. Ground prep. Got to have, if we're tillage, we got can't have very many clods. Got to have a firm seed bed. Make sure we have good ground conditions. Uh, if we're in no-till, we have to make sure our residue is managed, spread out, good planting conditions, and maybe consider a row crop planter with row cleaners if we're going to be true no-till in a heavy residue situation. And then in the next few weeks here, really got to start thinking about what variety we're going to plant. Uh, yeah. We did talk about fertility. How many pounds of nitrogen did you say we should probably put out? For... 50 bushels, that's going to be about the 125 pounds. Yeah. And I think you said 20 to 40 pre-plant or so just to get us started. Yeah. And then, again, phosphorus is a sufficiency, so we got a soil test to know uh, what our phosphorus needs are. And that gets us off to a good start, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, at some point here in the middle of winter, hopefully if the snow is blowing, we can talk about some more springtime stuff or maybe some more fall management here in the, in the near future if we have a good crop going and, and we have some other things to talk about, but really thank you, Josh, for all those good comments. I, I I'd be lost without you on canola and we've got a really good resource here. Most of our County educators can help us with canola. They've got good resources and access to state specialists. They can get help with any questions you have. And if you need someone to, to help you on down this endeavor. So we really thank you for joining us and we'll talk to you next time. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. If you would like to hear more or follow up on the discussed topics, please reach out to your local county extension agent. OSU has a presence in all 77 counties with the educators eager to assist you. Also, please consider checking the description for links to our social media pages and further information pertinent to the conversation. Thanks again and we'll talk to you soon.